0: You're, You're
1: listening, listening to, to the Umbrella the Cast. 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 Cast.
2: Welcome to the Umbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is Olivia Crimmel. Hello. Emma Shepherd. Hi. Xander Wilson. Hey, Damo. And special guest, Hard Hat founder Dan Monheit. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Xander will be talking to Oztam CEO Doug Pfeiffer about why the launch of Voz was delayed on multiple occasions.
3: Yeah, so this is um, one of the most complex projects that I've worked on and it's probably one of the most complex from a TV research point of view and we knew it wasn't going to be easy.
2: What the new system will deliver for advertisers.
3: It gives you the performance of a campaign we built this for is so you can take your Linear TV spots and put them together with your b impressions and get this holistic TV and frequency.
2: And why the current linear rating still has plenty of value.
3: We do have currency numbers for Metro, Regional, Subscription and b that that are respected and, and we're trying to match up to.
2: But first, the week's topics.
1: Howitson and White founding partner and White departs the agency.
2: R-Media's financial results as the publisher prepares for Christmas and...
1: Dan discusses industry vaccination initiative, the vaccination.
2: The industry was caught off guard yesterday by the big news that Howitzen and White co founder Ant White would be departing the agency he formed with Chris Howitzen just eight months after launch. The pair became business partners after a successful working relationship at CHE Proximity, where Howitzen was CEO, a position he had held since the age of 27 in 2012 and White was Chief Creative Officer, having joined in 2016 as the ECD and then being promoted. What do we know thus far, Olivia?
1: Unfortunately, not very much. Um, There is a lot of rumour at the moment, but it is understood and and based on the fact that their website and LinkedIn page and a whole bunch of other things that uh, Howittson and White is no more. Uh, The degree of that, though, is yet to be established. Um, I did manage to get a hold of Chris Howitzer, but his comment to me, not surprisingly, was he uh, is unable to comment due to legal reasons. Um, What we've heard and what we've had a number of people come to us with is that there was some kind of scandal involving Ant and that as a result of that, he has um, been asked or is leaving off his own accord, we're not sure, uh, to leave the agency because of that um, scandal of sorts. Uh, all of this again is is not yet verified, and we are waiting to hear more details. But the fact that their website's been taken down is a pretty big indication that things are not going well for the dynamic duo who set up shop earlier this year. And to your point, you know, I spoke with. Um, the head of marketing for Allianz earlier in the year when they launched that new campaign for them. And she was just so praising of both Ant and Chris. So it would be quite sad to see them um, already uh, break up, so to speak, um, when they are doing so well in at least the eyes of their clients.
2: Yeah, it's a a really unfortunate situation, it it seems, in that, as we mentioned in the Introduction. There's a, a deep history here between and and Chris. It's not just they've come together randomly to to form an agency. It, it goes back many years prior to that. I, I guess part of that big um, collaboration in Howitz and White did lead to uh, some very early large uh, client wins. Belong, as you mentioned, uh, Allianz. Uh, there's, there's some big names in there. Have you heard anything on, on the client side or, or do you expect anything in particular to happen on that front?
1: Well, the um, the only indication we've got so far is that obviously Chris is keen to proceed as per the original plan with the agency and I guess we'll just have to wait and see what clients do once they find out that the uh, creative side of that partnership is no longer at the agency. Um, whether or not Chris can get another, you know, senior, highly experienced, creative lead to, to come and join him, uh, replacing Ant, um, whether Ant stays on in a, in a different capacity, perhaps, as like a consultant or something. Uh, there is a lot of grey at this point in terms of the future of both um, Ant and also Chris in terms of their work going forward and and obviously the agency going forward. Um they they obviously won Belong, they've got Allianz as a foundation client. They also recently got Morris Blackburn. Um, So there are some significant, I mean, that's the ones we know about. I'm sure there are many, many others which are behind closed doors, either because of non-competes with their former house CHEP or other reasons. Um, They had already, you know, hired a number of people like there's a quite a number of staff already at the agency so I guess it's also important to consider all the staff who are now you know reliant on that on that agency for their livelihoods and for their careers so it is quite a significant thing when partnerships, you know, uh, break for whatever reason. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But we can imagine that there are lots of frantic conversations happening at the moment, um, both with clients, staff, and and obviously between the two founders.
2: And, of course, uh, a decent investment in the two offices in, in Melbourne and Sydney uh, as mm. well. So there's a lot yep. that's uh, gone on there. Interesting point that, that you made before in terms of what happens uh, on the creative side of that, you know, it does uh, in on his own as a business need a, a big-name creative partner or um, can he continue on his own with the people that he's got in there? Perhaps there's an up-and-coming, uh, you know, creative there or group of creatives that, that could do, um, you know, equally effective work. You know, I've spoken to a few people so far and the overwhelming response Has been an expectation that if anyone in the business can do it on their own, who's not a, uh, I I guess, uh, well known big creative name, it it is Chris Houts. And in in terms of being the well known business leader and and business Mm -hmm. grower, he would be the one that could continue this on without having to have a major name, uh, creative next to him to, to make it work. Uh, have you sort of spoken to, to anyone, you know, throwing out any, you know, I guess, theories that uh, are, are more than just um, crazy ideas at this stage?
1: No, as it's still very new to the market, obviously it only happened yesterday lunchtime. Um, I think most people are just in shock at the moment and as you might imagine with everyone working remotely um, trying to get a hold of people is also not that easy at the moment um but you know i, I we've obviously had a cu- couple of tips come into us here at the M umbrella news desk and some of the uh suggestions as to what's happened are, are quite interesting uh whether or not they're true obviously we can't verify at this point in time but i'm sure you've also had people reach out to you about you know what's happened and and why um, so we'll just have to hopefully hear very soon as to what and uh, um, what's happened, but also then what the next steps are for both of them because obviously they've both got very high profiles within the industry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the tip box at Mumbrella has never run hotter than over the last uh, 24 hours or, or so, and I'm sure it will continue towards the end of the week. But coming up next, our media drops its financial results and gears up for Christmas already. R Media has submitted its financial report for the year ending 31st December 2020 to the Australian Securities and Investment Commission, or ASIC. The financial results showed a total revenue of $236 million, up $35 million from 2019's revenue of $201 million. It was also the year that R, which was formerly Bauer Media, acquired one of Bauer's biggest rivals, Pacific Magazines from 7West Media. Uh, Meanwhile, R Media's Director of Sales, Andrew Cook, has spoken to Mumbrella, pushing the magazine's credentials for advertisers in the lead up to Christmas. Now, you covered uh, both of the uh, stories this week, Emma. Firstly, the the FIN results. There was a fair bit of detail in that. Uh, And I know that it included a a drop in advertising revenue, but a rise in overall revenue. Uh, What were the main takeouts from... That and I guess the classic question there is uh, how did revenue rise when advertising sales fell?
4: Good question. So looking at our media's uh, financials, despite obviously their revenue rise overall, uh, its advertising revenue was down by you know quite a significant number of ten million dollars. Uh, so um, that was thirty eight point three million um, in two thousand and nineteen. However, it was forty eight point three. Million dollars. So that's a pretty big loss. Um, No surprises, this was due to the pandemic. However, what we can see uh, from you know, more Australians working from home, they're looking for inspiration, positivity, a nice distraction from you know, a screen. Um, So, obviously, in the current climate, uh, you can see that more people are reading and buying magazines. Our media's circulation uh, for 2020 actually went up. Uh, it, It sat at $177 million. That was a big jump to uh, $48 million from 2019's circulation, which was at $129 million. So, um, yeah, I think that it it really comes down to the fact that more people are at home and the circulation's gone up, um, which is pretty much why um, the overall revenue did rise um, so significantly.
2: And digital performed uh, quite well also, didn't it?
4: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, online revenue was uh, up by $9.6 million uh, to $15.2 million. Um, 2019 was actually $14.2 million. So, that's a really big jump for their online revenue as well.
2: So, Emma, you spoke to Andrew Cook a lot about the run-up to Christmas, which were pretty important for R and, and the properties uh, that it uh, owns. What did uh, Andrew have to say about this this pretty important period for the business?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I had a nice long chat with Andrew last week. Um, basically, Uh, He told me Christmas is still key for advertisers and sales of its magazines, providing commercial opportunities for advertisers, especially during a pandemic. Um, Obviously, they have a portfolio of different brands, including Gourmet Traveller, the Australian Woman's Weekly, New Idea Food, Better Homes and Gardens, just to name a few. Um, Now, they actually reach 7 million main grocery buyers each month, which is huge. Uh, And that's according to the data in Roy Morgan's Single Source Australia, March 2021, report. Uh, he also said to me uh, last hu- the, the last half of the year and the lead up to Christmas is the busiest time of the year from a revenue perspective, both for advertisers and for the publishing house. Uh, he said it's more important than ever due to COVID-19 and the lack of connection that we're facing that we're really promoting this as a connective Christmas. Um, their, their research shows that Australians plan several months before Christmas and that people are buying Christmas presents now um, just because they're worried that there might be a potential delay of recei- receiving gifts uh, and whatnot due to the pandemic. Uh, so they're really trying to encourage consumers to buy locally. Uh, and they do um, speak to uh, six in 10 women across the country and have a great opportunity to connect advertisers with that audience um, with the right environment.
2: And does he expect that uh, that the advertising revenues will, will bounce back this year? It's been a pretty challenging year for everyone in, in terms of, you know, New South Wales or parts of New South Wales are, are in lockdown. Melbourne, as we record this, uh, is, is in lockdown, uh, you know, getting out to news agents to, to buy a copy of uh, one of the uh, magazines would, would be difficult, but obviously there's a the digital um, properties still out there, but... Um, did he give any sort of indication on whether he expected a, a bit of a bounce back on, on that 10 million drop uh, in in this uh, this calendar year?
4: Uh, he did say that our media are launching a number of ways that brands can kind of tap into um, this their market during Christmas, um, and that's kind of kind of QR codes and and whatnot through through their print. Um, but they they he seemed pretty positive that this last quarter, um, was going to remain quite steady. Uh, he didn't, there was no signs of him thinking that they weren't going to make their advertising revenue budget, um, for the end of the year.
2: And I guess just, uh, finally to wrap up on, uh, you know, Jane Huxley has been in charge now for, for a few months, uh, began in April replacing Brendan Hill, uh, Uh, Any visibility from her at the moment, Emma? uh, I personally haven't heard too much, but um, what have you been hearing?
4: Same uh, on my end. I haven't really seen much of Jane Huxley since she was appointed uh, CEO uh, back in April. Uh, So she, I I know from some industry insiders that uh, they've actually mentioned that it's because she wants to really focus, like spend the first six months uh, getting to know the business before she she starts talking externally. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And obviously, she's just really wanting to knuckle down and especially the lead up before the busiest period for for our media, um, which is Christmas. Obviously, we might see something, uh, you know, she might come out and and be more visible after that period.
2: Up next, we're going to bring Dan Monheit into the conversation to talk about the pro bono vaccine campaign, The Vaccination. On Monday, a group of media and marketing execs dropped a pro bono idea called the Vaccination, which was launched to fight fear with facts. It's an initiative that brings to life creative ideas to address Australian AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy and began with the A to Z of things more likely to kill you than a Z. Some of the industry leaders involved included Dixello's Aiden Hepburn, WPP's Rose Herseg, Branglin & Moore's Kieran Moore, and Mutiny's Henry Innes, among others. Of course, Dan Monheit as well. Uh, Dan, well done on the vaccination. Tell me, how did this all come about? Aren't you busy enough already, mate?
5: Well, you know, the, the weekend was looking free, so we thought we better we better do something. Um, look, the, the way it all came about was, was quite organic. Uh, Kate Walker, who's our GM in Sydney, was actually getting her AZ vaccine. Um, and we're sitting there thinking how ridiculous it was that people were so scared of this when there are so many things that we all do in our day-to-day lives that are actually far riskier. Well, so was the hypothesis. And then uh, about 50 or 60 Slack messages later, uh, it had turned into a campaign with fact-finding. Uh, we brought on the uh, guys from Good One Creative to do all of the illustrations for us. And sort of three or four days later, we were ready to roll.
2: Mate, it gained traction really quickly as well. On last check of the Insta, I think you had 10,300 plus followers. That's in less than a week. Um, you know, why do you think the official government initiatives have been so lackluster, so hard to kind of get traction on, get excitement about, but you guys, you come in and you drop this and, and people are sharing it left, right and center. My, my wife shared it the other day without me having to say anything About it. How's that all picked up? Uh,
5: Well, I mean, first of all, the response from other industry leaders and the broader comms community has been absolutely unbelievable. I mean, we never could have imagined. We had, I think, 5,000 followers in the first day, yet 10,000 in less than a week. Uh, I've just seen it written up in everything from Turkish to Vietnamese. So it's literally gone gangbusters. Um, And I I mean, I think it's easy to beat up on the official messaging and the agencies that are doing the official government work. But in reality, sometimes it is easier to just write the brief yourself and do the work yourself and not have to worry about any of the approvals and regulatory and all the things that turn great ideas into bland ideas. So, um, look, I think we really just struck a a chord um, and we let it live and breathe in the channels where people wanted to find it.
2: Yeah, so, you know, you mentioned there, you know, kind of writing your own brief and and answering your own brief for a, a, a challenge that is society-wide in Australia mm. a, at the moment. How confident were you that you were hitting the nail on the head or that you were really responding to to what had to happen here?
5: I guess as you'd expect from me, there was a, a behavioral perspective on this, which is uh, around something called the availability bias, which is our tendency to take um, how easily it is for us to think of an example of something and sort of um, use that as an approximation for how common or representative that thing is. So it's why people are far more scared of dying in shark attacks than in domestic swimming pools, even though far more people do die tragically in domestic swimming pools and shark attacks, but domestic swimming pool deaths are not very memorable or widely publicised. So what we knew was you know some very uh, noisy talk about the risks of bad things happening from the AstraZeneca vaccine and not very much noise on the billions of people that have had it with no side effects or very limited side effects. And I guess what we wanted to do was try and put those fears into perspective with lots of other risky, seemingly risky things that we all do every day, like play with dogs and walk past insects and use lawnmowers and ride bikes. Um, And so, look, we had a hunch that this was going to be something that resonated Uh, But it wasn't until maybe three or four hours after we'd launched it where we started seeing influencers like Zoe Foster Blake just pick it up off their own back and start sharing it that we realized we might be onto something. And as sort of Tuesday rolled into Wednesday, we saw it go from our bubble into the next concentric circle of other industries and um, other publications, other languages. And uh, we're, we're still writing it. It's unbelievable.
2: Let's talk about the the psychology of it a a bit as well, because obviously Mm -hmm. that's kind of where you play in as well. You know, we spent so long hearing messaging from state departments, from from the governments, you know, suggesting that AstraZeneca wasn't necessarily safe uh, for people of a certain age group. I'm in that age group, uh, you know, the the 18s to 40s, and, (laughs) you know, then it became 50s, then it became 60s. um, And then obviously that turned around. After you've heard that, or after a consumer... Has heard that messaging for so long. How hard is it to actually turn that messaging around and go the other way? It's
5: it's really difficult. Also, nice flex just to make sure everybody knows how how young you are, Uh, because it wasn't an issue for me. I was
2: (laughs) (laughs) very close to the forty.
5: So the the thing with memories is, is memories are more easily accessible when they are emotionally charged. Uh, And, you know, hearing that a vaccine that's being rolled out is dangerous and you shouldn't go anywhere near it, it makes sense that people would take a lot of notice of that and remember it. And conversely, hearing that something's safe and everything's actually going to be fine is, is not particularly emotive and not particularly memorable. So it's going to take a lot of very consistent messaging in lots of different ways, you know, in lots of different styles to, I think, overcome the initial damage that was done about talking about the risks.
2: Now, you mentioned some of the facts there previously, which were, were kind of crazy uh, random stuff. Chance of death by hamburger, chance of death by insect, by meteorite as well, which which is mentioned as one in 250,000. Those are odds I do not like. One in 250,000 chance that a meteorite's going to, to do away with me. How did you guys come up with those sort of facts? Where did you find them and, and how did you collate all of that?
5: So thankfully, we're not the first people to try and find weird and wonderful ways that people can die. Um, so there's a lot of groundwork done on the internet, and we absolutely did our best to make sure we were quoting reputable sources. But in reality, the only fact that really matters, the only fact we really want people to understand is this one in a million chance and to really appreciate that it's really not that bad uh, and, and far less risky than you know, perhaps getting COVID or lots of other things that we all do day to day and do not give a second thought to.
2: Now, you mentioned as well, obviously, you've got great feedback, a lot of pickup and, and shares and, and essentially exactly what you wanted. You also got a few comments, uh, particularly on, on LinkedIn, with people sort of questioning either the motives or the delivery or some of the facts and, and things like that. In terms of the communications, so not talking about vaccine hesitancy itself, but maybe maybe you term it vaccine communications mm. hesitancy. What sort of surprised you about some of that feedback, if anything, has you know around people kind of questioning the the delivery and the motivations?
5: I mean, first of all, it's just so unusual to get negative feedback in our industry for a piece of creative work. So, <laughs> completely took me aback. Um, and look, who knows what people's motivations are? I'm sure there are some people that really want to know that there's um, good, rigorous research done behind all of this data. But I think most people realise we've tried to take a slightly lighthearted approach to something that's otherwise very serious and um, have, have appreciated the effort that we've gone to again, pro no, pro bono, no budget, no brief, just, you know, an agency and some uh, collaborators trying to do their bit. And I guess what gives me a lot of confidence that we have done something great here is that ultimately the, the dream for most of us working in this industry is to do work that gets talked about by people that don't work in this industry. So if a few people in this industry don't like it, well, that that's fine. What's far more interesting is people telling me that their local school teacher or doctor or physiotherapist or greengrocer has told them that they saw this initiative and it was great. And I mean, that's that's what we're all in it for. So, um, you know, haters are my motivators. What can you do? <laughs>
2: Speaking of people outside of this industry, uh, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure ScoMo, Dan Andrews, Gladys Berejiklian don't listen to the Mumbrella cast. Maybe they do. That would be amazing if they did. Let's assume maybe that they, they do. Uh, communication tips for the current uh, people in these you know powerful positions with a lot of pressure On them right now. Is there anything that you think that um, you know needs to be readdressed or attacked in a different light, particularly you know New South Wales at the moment on Struggle Street?
5: I mean, I, I wish I had a magic wand for the guys, but what what I can say is that if the target is eighty percent community-wide vaccination, it's going to need lots and lots of different approaches. There's there's no single solution that's going to work for everybody. And if what we've been able to do is to you know slice off one segment of the market, you know, particularly those people that are perhaps younger and spending more time on social, like that's great. But I think seeking a, a silver bullet is not going to work, uh, and that they need to pursue. Different methodologies, different channels for different audiences just to try and get us all over the line so we can get back to living.
2: And just finally, uh, more to come from from the vaccination. Uh, I- anything else in, in the pipeline? So what's been very, very interesting is, is we've had some wonderful
5: people uh, in the media industry. Uh, reach out and offer to see if we can get this onto a bigger platform. So we're certainly looking at that. The other thing that's been amazing is just seeing how other content creators have picked this up. So lots of other creators uh, through Instagram and TikTok have taken what we've done and built their own versions of it. Uh, I don't know if you know, there's a a satire uh, Instagram account called uh, Campaign Grief, Uh, On Instagram, they've done their own uh, A to Z of things in advertising that will kill you. I think A was for account management. B was for brand style guides. (laughs) It's actually quite funny. So it's sort of taken a life of its own. And uh, I guess
2: P was for procurement.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I I think it was. So onwards and upwards, the the more people that get the message, the better.
2: So mate, just to round up then, where do we go from here? What, What do you want people to do with this now?
5: It's very, very simple. If we're going to get to that 80% target, we just need people to share and share and share. Let's get ourselves vaccinated and get out of this mess and get back to
2: the lives that we, are, that we all miss. Coming up next, Xander Wilson will chat to Oztam CEO, Doug Piper.
0: I'm Xander Wilson, and on this MumbrellaCast, I'm joined by Doug Pfeiffer, Chief Executive Officer at Oztam, the official source for television measurement in Australia. Doug, thanks for joining me on the MumbrellaCast.
3: Not a problem. How are you, Xander?
0: I'm well, thanks. I guess it makes sense to start this chat with the recent release of the first numbers from Voz, a virtual Oz, the very exciting and long-awaited measurement system that you know rolls linear and Bvod or broadcast viewing on demand into one total TV number. Does that just about sum it up?
3: Yeah, a little bit more because um, for the first time we've got austam um, which measures the metro markets and regional TAM, which measures the regional markets, putting that together. So a true national picture of television on, on television sets, but then you bring in this BVOD measurement as well. So as consumers have been moving around their different devices to watch TV, um, it's it's kind of one dimensional to look at just the linear side of things these days.
0: And how important is it for the industry to have that total TV number now?
3: Well, it's it's the true reflection of of how consumers are consuming TV. Um, it's kind of like looking at it with one eye if you don't look at the other side. There's certain programs that are, you know, gaining 30, 40, 50% increase with BevoD. Which may have been right written off is not as successful, but when you look at the total picture, um, you know that the, there is an audience there for it, and it, it gives you that true reflection of how a piece of content is performing. But it also gives you a piece of um, it gives you the performance of a campaign, um, an advertising campaign across, you know, the, the devices that are there, and and that's what we that you know that's what we built this for is so you can take your um linear TV spots and put them together with your BVOD impressions and get this holistic TV reach and frequency.
0: Yeah, and we've had two weeks worth of the data rollout now. Um, a couple of reports that you know us in the media have been reading over. I'm interested to know what feedback you've gotten so far from the industry, from TV networks and media agencies and and more.
3: Um I've been out doing some roadshows with the agencies and we're we're getting them on board to the data. It's the first time they've seen it, so it's early days. We've been working with software companies to um, onboard them inside the agencies, so they can read the data and start. It's early days for them to fit this into their systems, into their planning process. Um, So it's it's really early days, but there's a lot of excitement. We're getting a lot of... um, requests to onboard the data sets and, and requests for logins to our dashboards and, and to the websites getting a lot of hits. So there's a lot of enthusiasm around it. So it's only a couple of weeks in and, um, but you know, the, 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 timing is, is right. I mean, we've got the Olympics on and that's a multi-screen event. Um, it's just the way that people are consuming television. So it's, and it's how the, the agencies are buying and it's how the broadcasters are selling as well. So the timing's right. It's just early days to, you know, to get it flowing through the workflow.
0: Yeah, definitely. And have you had any feedback in terms of the way that you guys have put it, you know, available to read through it and and that sort of thing? Um, I guess what what went into the process for how you decided to 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 upload it and publish the data?
3: Well, we built the website and that's that's a place where a lot of the journalists like yourselves come to and, and look at that. Top ranking reports and 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 if you go to that virtualoz.com, the weekly reports that are up there will give you the ranking report. It'll give you the ranking reports by. Then you're in Bvod. It'll give you the the biggest Bvod pieces of content as well. So making that available, but then also you can see what a true national reach is. There's a the third report is a reach report. So that's that's one aspect is is that public-facing to the market, to the trade journalists to write about. Um, and that, for the first time, shows how successful content is at a national level. Um, Oztam usually gets reported as the number, but there's a lot more viewing than just outside the metro markets and across devices. So that's one piece. And then the other piece is then daily turning on daily data. So we've got daily data back from July 4th which we started releasing to the broadcasters and the agencies when they get their software, um, then they can start to build their own reporting, in-house reporting system. So it's, it's a process to get through. Um, it'll take some time for people to want to get familiar with the data and two, to work it into the workflows and work it into their systems and upgrade their systems to handle this big data set.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned there, um, the, the networks are are seeing the daily data already. Um, is it just sort of like a trial process at the moment with that? And, and, and at what stage do you expect to be able to make that data public?
3: Yeah. So, so they'll start reporting on it. Um, we, we, we're, we're going to have a second release of the data in in a few months time that, that has some, um, deeper demographics in it. And, uh, um, some little corrections to the data that we see. One of the one of the things that we're working on with the broadcasters is is um, program names. So we call it uh, content identified master files. So long word acronym CIMF. I- inside that is is how we call a piece of content from the metros to the regionals and also on Bvod. So if you had like Farmer Wants a Wife, you need to make sure that you name it with a content ID the same, so the numbers come out. And so we've been working with the broadcasters on cleaning that data and making sure that the inputs are there. Um, so the broadcasters are kind of testing their ID systems to make sure that they they, they input that correctly so that the output comes out correctly. Um, so we've got a bit of time to clean some of that up as well before the next release. And so we've, got to, we've been working with them a lot, and they're looking at the data and fitting it into their systems because, you know, they want to sell television Across all screens.
0: Just looking at the data so far, is it showing what you expected to in terms of um, the Bvod numbers that that these networks have been uh, reporting on their own systems? Um, have those numbers really been reflected in 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 Voz so far?
3: Yeah, the, the the numbers that the broadcasters report are collected by us anyway, so that's that's like the what we call the VPM, the Video Player Measurement Service that sits off to one side and then we've got the TV ratings that sit off the other and really what VOS does is bring it together. Um, what they're looking for is to understand incremental reach. So how many people are consuming content on BVOD only that can only be reached in that side? So they're starting to understand that. And no surprise, um, younger demographics tend to view in a in a BVOD fashion more than older demographics, but that's changing. Um, when you ask the question, you know, are we seeing anything unusual? It's, it's, you know, in COVID times, everything's unusual in terms of TV viewing. We see linear when we we go into lockdown in Sydney, we saw it in Melbourne, TV ratings go up. We see the number of devices that are coming into the household. Um, We were averaging about 6.6 last year. And that jumped as people brought their desktop and laptop home. Um, And then the viewing kind of gets spread around because people are, available more in front of those screens so it's 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 kind of an abnormal time not just for you know the world but it also has an impact on viewing so we, we we see the device type changing a little bit during this time and so if you think about pre-covid times we'd probably see more viewing of video content in the morning on trains and buses and things like that um, as people commute can't commute they're watching it at home so and maybe on a different screen and maybe on a work screen. And so the comparisons are what we're expecting is just blurred a little bit.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And I spoke to some media buyers uh, a couple of months ago just to speak about sort of what they thought about how Voz will change. And 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 I guess the the general sense is that it won't change things overnight in terms of, of media buying and planning. They said it's something that will take a bit of time what do you think will fuel that change to make Voz something that is really like a really important industry currency and, 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 and how do we educate, I guess, media buyers and agencies to look beyond those, those linear overnight numbers that, that still form quite a big part of the narrative?
3: So, look, it's going to take some time to, to get this data to flow through the system. Uh, the way I look at it is we've got the front end and the back end, which is your planning and then your post-analysis. And then in the middle is the is the systems that it takes to read the data and, and you know in terms of your buying and, and your how you transact off it and 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 currently Bvid and TV are traded in a different fashion and so maybe it won't go in that space but from the start from a planning point of view if you start at the front end understanding how people are consuming linear and Bvid across devices is going to allow you to allocate. And, and plan your campaign better. And then at the back end, as we if, as we work on collection of spots, so we got TV spots, no problem. But as we work on collecting BVOD impressions across the ecosystem, you'll be able to, with the portal, throw those spots and and TV ads at that portal and get a reach and frequency answer. So it's kind of like the front end is the planning side, and then you go and execute in the way that you normally do. And then you come back and get a post evaluation to see if you've, you know, there's there's a lot of agencies chasing reach, weekly reach. And the way the TV is now, there is incremental reach that is to be had on the BVOD. So I see the front and the back probably the starting point point probably more the front. And then we've got to work on the back end as well. But it, it'll take a little bit of time. And then you need some historic data. So we plan on later in the year releasing all of 2021 back data so then you can understand the trends and, you know, we still got to be aware that it's going to be COVID infected and, you know, it'll be different by market. You can see it in the numbers now on TV. So, you know, we need, we need, to, we need to build up some history to, to learn from this.
0: Uh, obviously, the rollout, there were some significant challenges there, a few roadblocks and, and, and delays with, with getting to where we are now. What were some of the biggest challenges Oztam had to overcome with the rollout of Voz?
3: Yeah. So this is um, one of the most complex projects that I've worked on. And it's probably one of the most complex from a TV research point of view. And we knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, If you look around the world, combining uh, a linear TV, uh, sorry, if combining a TV panel, which is sample based, we've got 8,000 households in Australia with 20,000 people reporting. Um, And then we've got on the BVOD side, the collection side is, you know, 14, 15 million devices, but that's devices, and that covers all of Bvod. The trick, the tricky part, is that TV panel is a living, breathing TV panel. And some days households drop out, and new households appear. And when those new households appear, it kind of upsets the linkages that you had. So they, they appear new. So if they view, it tends to. It's a challenge to try to contain that as not new reach. So you got to build that into your model, and that's what we've been doing. And most markets around the world, that's kind of simplifying one of the challenges. That's the biggest challenge. Um, we then hit a number of other things along the way. Covid. you um, talk about that TV panel. We had to make sure that during the Covid period, we weren't sure how long it was going to last. Um, that the TV ratings currency was protected. Uh, we couldn't get into households. We had to make sure that you know we maintained that panel. So we did a few things here in Australia, like. Suspend turnover, so we didn't take any households out during that time. We let them run a little longer, and, and Nielsen did a great job of learning how to remotely work with the households on troubleshooting certain things. So that was a challenge. And then, unfortunately, Nielsen late last year got hit with a cyber attack as well. You may have remembered um, that took us out. That took our servers out of action for about eight weeks, and um, we and that's where Vols was sitting, so we couldn't access it, and we lost a bit of time. On, on the build, um, so really, it's just been a, a challenge that you know one after the other thrown at us. And so you know, we're we're excited to get it to the market here in July. Um, encouraging the software companies to get out there and get the agencies on board, and we're assisting um, in onboarding that and um, supporting that financially, and then getting that back data and trying to get it to roll. And it'll take some time, but I'm, I'm encouraged by the enthusiasm that we're seeing.
0: You do mention there uh, looking sort of comparing uh, overseas markets and 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 the measurement there. How does VOS compare with with overseas measurement in in most markets um, that are comparable to Australia? Is it is it is it more accurate? Is it better? Is it more up to date? Are we catching up to other markets?
3: Um, we took a different approach, the virtual approach to create a synthetic universe to put these things into, and that's what Voz is is kind of a unique approach. We've seen other markets, um, Barb in the UK, which is the equivalent of Oztam, had a project dovetail. They've kind of working on the front end now as a planning side. Um, And then other markets like Sweden has announced that they've got a total TV measure and it took them six six years to build, right? Um, It's just a complicated process to put these two data sets together um, to get the answers. And, and, you know, if you didn't have daily numbers to compare to, you'd probably just put the numbers out and that would become the numbers. But we do have currency numbers for metro, regional, subscription, and BVOD that, that are respected and, and we're trying to match up to. So it's, I wouldn't say we're behind. I think we're on the forefront of, you know, making this work. Um, but once you get the data out there, then you got to have the tools as well to read it. And that's where we're onboarding that stuff now. So it's, it's, it's taken longer than we'd like, but we're, we're there now and you know we'll just work hard with our clients to get it embedded into their planning.
0: Yeah, and just looking ahead to the rest of the year, maybe looking to next year, we know some of the networks have disagreed at various stages over the value of linear metro overnight ratings. Uh, is that a metric that is still valuable and, and for how long will it remain relevant and will VOS eventually completely replace it?
3: I think I think overnight ratings are still gonna be valuable. I think that and I, I don't think they were in disagreement. It's just about whether they were gonna what they were gonna release. I think when we when we take vols to the market and some some of the insights pieces that we'll bring to the market, there's certain pieces of content that are watched live linear. So sports, news, finales of reality programs, et cetera. And they've got a little bit of playback. And then you've got other pieces of content that the shelf life is a lot longer than overnight. And I think that's what some of the CEOs and program directors were trying to allude to is that I've got a piece of content that is getting 50% increase in audience if you just wait seven days, right? And that tends to be your dramas, maybe some of your reality stuff, people stockpiling it. Um, it happens on occasion where two top rating programs are on on two different networks and you can only watch one live and you got to record the other. So or stockpile it and be bought it later. We haven't seen the amount of playback to the television increase. What we've seen over the last year is an increase in b-vod, 40% lift year on year last year. And that's because there's more um, connected devices in the marketplace and, and you don't need to record because it's available, right? The library for each network is up there. And so, yeah, it's some, some, To say overnights aren't of value, I mean, how do you put an overnight on a grand final of a sporting event or a state of origin or something, you know, you don't wait for seven days to announce it. You know, 95% of the viewing is going to occur that live. And so it's just different by genre. And that's some of the insights that we'll pull out. Um, But some other pieces of content have a shelf life. And you'll see pieces of content. If you think about how people discover content, and if it's still up there, on a website to be found, or on a, on, a, on a video BVOD site to be found. Word of mouth is big for SVOD and B-vod content. So Xander, it's like me asking you, oh, what are you watching at the moment? And you'll rattle off programs that you're watching and what you're BVODing, and, and that's how people find it. And so what I'm watching could be different, and then you tip me off to something else, and then I'll start watching it. And that discovery comes from word of mouth, comes from advertising, it comes from being on websites um, of the players. So I think that's what the programmers at the networks are starting to understand and that's what they've been vocal about. The overnight number is not the end game for a lot of pieces of content.
0: Yeah, and if you had to, I guess, leave a message for marketers and advertisers who, who you know, haven't started to dive into these numbers and, and, and use VOS, um, what would that message be?
3: Um, for marketers and agencies alike, I think it's to get your hands on the data Dig into it, understand how people are consuming across devices. Look for those pockets of viewers that are consuming um, maybe BVOD only, maybe linear only, and how that combines to get a reach, a bigger reach. Um, And then understand, look at it and keep looking at it because I think some people will move from BVOD only one week and then linear the next week and move around. So I think segmenting viewers by how they're consuming across devices is probably going to give you the biggest insights to start. And that's where I would, you know, look, TV is not dead. It's just, it's just morphing and people are, you know, taking control.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to how it develops over the next year and, and, and beyond Doug, thank you so much for joining me on the Mumbrella cast today.
3: Not a problem. Thanks Xander.
0: And that's it for this week.
2: Thank you for listening to the Mumbrella cast and thank you everyone for joining me.